Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods? Fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by our producer, Alex Uplinger. He manages our podcast account at Full underscore Slate underscore Pod. NFL Week 2 is upon us as we record just before kickoff of Cincinnati at Cleveland in the first game. You listen to this on a Friday so one game is in the books by the time you take in our podcast. Alex, it's good to have you on board again. How are you doing, and how was your week one? Greg, I'm doing great. Week one was quite successful outside of my uh, survivor pick, the Colts going down. Week one, that's always fun to lose your survivor pool the very first week, just get it <laughs> out of the way. You know, it's funny. I had a friend from high school who – I uh, went out on the Colts too, and apparently his pool was small enough where so many people went out on the Colts that the owner, uh, the ma- the commissioner allowed buybacks, and the guy bought back in and just took the Titans and just stayed <laughs> in the Jags again. There you go, go back right to the well, the one right that the bit well, you, just exactly. go right back to it. Um, but no, uh, yeah, that was a, a tough one, and it's funny when that happened. I remember you had asked me about your teaser. Uh, and who was going to bone it? And I said, well, and I hate to say I told you so. There are plenty of times when I'm going to be wrong here, and by no means did I have the stones to take Jacksonville on the money line. But I, I did think that Jacksonville would be the one leg that might be able to get in the way. And I know that we talked about the Jets and the Bills, but the Jets did not show up at all. So, 
yeah, some funny thing with those teasers, why I normally don't like to play them because it just looks too good to be true every time. <laughs> it, it always is too good to be true. Philip Rivers was Philip Rivers. He had the ball with a minute and a half left and couldn't do it. But that's that's prime Philip Rivers for you. So we'll get to the Colts in their Week 2 game against Minnesota a little later on, but let's get things rolling here with the NFL Sunday rotation. That's the plan to go in rotation order, starting with the uh, 1 o'clock games. It's 2-6-1. The LA Rams visiting 2-6-2. The Philadelphia Eagles, just before we hopped on, we were talking about this number and how it has kind of moved all over the map through zero. Eagles opened as a favorite, uh, went all the way to close to a field goal underdog, and now we're sitting at one point, the Rams laying on the highway, uh, Philadelphia coming off that dreadful loss against the Washington football team last week. Total of 45.5 in this game. And I will start uh, by saying that I actually have a pretty strong lean here on the Eagles. I have not bet the game yet. I'm probably going to. I kind of wanted to see what Alice had to say. Maybe he can talk me off it. But here's what I'm seeing when it comes to the Eagles. First off, one thing I like to talk about a lot, and actually we talked about it last week, is that when it comes to your own allegiances, if you can remain objective, you should know when to bet against them and you should know when to bet on them. And last week I thought was a time to bet against the Eagles because they were a injury-laden team with a makeshift offensive line against the defensive line for Washington that we knew could give them problems, and that's exactly what happened with the eight sacks for Washington. I just could not get there with Washington, Alex. I know you had them, but as far as this game, they're supposed to be getting Lane Johnson back on that offensive line. Miles Sanders, the running back, is supposed to come back. They had no running game to speak of last week in D.C. Uh, Derek Barnett on the defensive line should be back for the Eagles as well. Uh, So they should be getting healthier. And the coaching matchup, Doug Peterson against Sean McVay. They've only dueled twice, but Peterson won both of those matchups and covered in both of them. And one of them was an outright win in 2018 as 13.5-point underdogs. And that's the game that I really want to look at here from a handicapping perspective. And as I said, I'm an Eagles fan. I did not think it was a good spot for them last week. I do think it's a good spot this week because Doug Peterson teams always seem to dig deep and find something in them when the fan base or the media are counting them out or it just doesn't look like it's meant to happen. And I know that that's kind of a December narrative, and that game that I talked about in 2018 was a Sunday night game in December after they had just lost to the Cowboys in overtime, and it looked like the season was over. Amari Cooper scored a touchdown, and the Eagles end up winning three in a row to make the playoffs and ultimately lost to New Orleans in the divisional round. The same thing happened last year. From 5-7 and seven down, they won four straight to make the playoffs. As I said, a September game, but there's, I think, a lot of urgency here for the Eagles. That 0-2 versus 1-1 start has been very um, historically, statistically significant as far as making the playoffs. Uh, and so I think that they, there is going to be a little more urgency for the Eagles. Peterson has always kind of been one step ahead of McVay. Uh, and so for that reason, uh, the cross-country travel, too, for the Rams, uh, kind of towards the bottom of my handicap. But as I said, I think the Eagles are the far more desperate team here. They're getting healthier. Carson Wentz was a little something to prove that game back in 2017 was when he was having his MVP season and tore his ACL against the Rams. And one last note, Aaron Donald has not recorded a sack in three games career against the Eagles. They seem to have a good answer for 99 in the the trenches. Granted, Jalen Ramsey has not been there in any of those head-to-head matchups 
I just like a lot of things here for the Eagles. Long-winded handicap, but Alex, I'll let you get in now. Uh, how do you see it? Nothing official for me, Greg, but I do have a trend that supports your lean. So week two underdogs against the spread after losing week one, they're 82-67-4, which is 55%. So you could just blindly bet sure. underdogs that lost week one, and this would be the exact spot to do that. I do think home underdog in a bounce back after a very disappointing loss, I think that's a good angle to play. Right, and that's kind of how I'm looking at it as a good buy-low opportunity on an Eagles team getting healthier. So more than likely a play for me on the side in the first game here in the rotation of uh, Philadelphia plus one. Let's move on and head down south to Florida where we have Tom Brady making his debut in Tampa Bay after losing in the Big Easy last Sunday against the Saints. Another divisional game for the Bucks against the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, eight-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road, a total of 47-and-a-half in this one. And, uh, Alex, you're taking the points here, getting over a touchdown. We talked about it a little bit last week with Bridgewater and his ability to just kind of keep his teams in the game and, and cover numbers. Is that kind of how you see this one playing out? Yeah, I just – I like the points. That's I feel like that's just too many points. Um, I really liked what I saw from Brady – on literally the first drive of the game and then was a little concerned the rest of the game. I mean, some some passes over 20 yards over simple routes. I, I just didn't love what I saw out of him the rest of the game. Also, um, Godwin, I believe, is in the concussion protocol. Godwin uh, is very much on the fence, uh, has yet to practice this week as we record this on a Thursday night. Uh, Mike Evans, on the other hand, seems to be on the right side of questionable, uh, but I think probably a game where uh, for Tampa Bay, we talked about it last week, a lot of changes and, and granted a lot of hype, uh, but I, I think just in general, uh, you have two teams that did a lot of changing in the offseason, and uh, yeah, maybe Tampa comes out and makes a statement and blows the doors off Carolina, but I don't know. I think uh, Carolina definitely showed that they had some fight in them, Alex. You had to have been sweating that that out with the Raiders last week. Oh, absolutely. That was yeah. very nerve-wracking. I really like what I saw out of Carolina's offense. I, I was more shocked that the defense gave up 34 to the Raiders. I, yeah, I thought, and that's one thing. I'm not playing the total in this game, but I've heard a lot of people say that Carolina is going to be a good over team all season because – you look at that offense, there's there's some playmakers there, no doubt. DJ Moore, first-round pick a few years back out of Maryland. Uh, we know about Christian McCaffrey and uh, Curtis Robbie Anderson. Anderson. He always seems to, seems Anderson to get a great deep ball. They're going to score. The problem is they've completely overhauled everything defensively. They spent every draft pick on defense. You know, obviously Luke Keekley is gone, and, um, you know, James Bradbury uh, went to the – Giants in free agency, so uh, they are just overhauling on defense, and uh, it would lend you to think that they are going to play a lot of high-scoring games this year. So nothing for me there, and uh, Alex, you are going to take, what did you get, eight and a half here with Carolina? Uh, I got plus nine earlier in the week. Plus nine, okay, very good. Yeah, I, I would probably lean that way on the side with the Panthers. Let's move on and go uh, back to the state of Pennsylvania. We started with the Eagles hosting the Rams. We're going to go to Western PA now. It's the Steelers and the Broncos, a pair of teams coming off of Monday Night Football openers. 
The Broncos are a seven and a half point underdog, number two six five in the rotation is Denver, a total of just forty in this game, and obviously uh, James Conner, the running back, did not look very good for Pittsburgh and got hurt on that Monday night game. Sounds like he might be able to give it a go. We'll have to see coming up to game time, but Benny Snell certainly spelled him and looked pretty good. And then that uh, Denver-Tennessee game was hard to get through, I'll be honest. It was uh, not high-quality football. The elevation sounds like it factored in a little bit towards uh, teams just not having their best stuff. Uh, Denver ultimately gets the cover. Tennessee wins at 16-14. Not a ton for me here. Uh, I will say uh, that Pittsburgh defense just looks every bit the part of a top five defense in the NFL. And so, you know, maybe you could look team total under for Denver, but this total is 40. And so, and Denver's a seven and a half point underdog. So I don't think I have a whole lot of wiggle room on, on this team total under with obviously Denver with Drew Locke getting some new weapons, Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, uh, KJ Hamler. Maybe it's taken some time to get every Cortland Sutton may not play in this game still. So, some turnover there and some additions for Denver that might take some time offensively, but I just don't think as far as the numbers are concerned, which is all that matters, that enough really lines up for me to like anything here. Alex, how about you? Well, speaking of team total, that that Pittsburgh team total over 26, and they miss extra point, that would Ooh. have been 27. That yeah. that was the that was my bad beat of the week. Yeah. But well, for, uh, pushed. Yeah, that's that's a bright spot. But um, nothing official for this. I think it's a little too many points. It seems like an overreaction to a pretty solid Steelers victory, although they look quite shaky in the first half. So I think this is too many points. Um, if I had anything, it would be the under, just that Steelers defense. Bud Dupree coming off the edge. Right. I think that's going to be an absolute handful for Drew Locke. K.J. Hamler, I don't know if he's going to play. That's a good deep threat for them. I just don't see how they move the ball that well. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. It's definitely the Steelers early on are a team that I was actually investing a lot in preseason. I bet them over their season win number and to win the AFC North. So it's definitely not a team that I want to step in front of right now. Let's keep things moving and go to the Big D. The Dallas Cowboys are a four-and-a-half point favorite against the Atlanta Falcons. Total of 53 in this game, I believe. Yes, this is the highest total on the board. Not a huge surprise when you consider Atlanta's defense got absolutely torched by Russell Wilson last week, and it sounds like that is going to be a narrative that we are going to be repeating quite a bit this year. The defense for Atlanta certainly leaves a lot to be desired, so you would think, Pretty nice spot here for all your Cowboys in fantasy. Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb in DFS, probably an interesting play as well. But, Alex, we talked about this before we hopped on. It looks like there's probably, I'm guessing, this pro money on Atlanta. This number was out to about six and a half, seven before uh, we recorded today is late in the week, and we're down to four and a half. Uh, I think any value on the Falcons has disappeared now with it being bet down. Uh, I look at this game and just think that Dallas is probably going to have its way offensively, uh, and it's just a matter of which defense do you trust more, and uh, it, I, I would probably just have to default to Dallas just on the fact that I know it's only one data point, but they definitely looked better than the Atlanta defense last week. I am going to side with the public. I'm going to be that dumb public better. I'm I'm taking the Cowboys. Falcons, can they get a single stop? 
Right. Russ went for yeah. 322 in the air and four touchdowns. I just I'm not convinced they can stop Dak. I I would argue this is a stronger offense than Seattle had. Right. Also, Mike McCarthy, I have a good trend for him. 53, 34, and four as a home favorite. And also Dan Quinn. That's kind of just automatic bet against the coaching mismatch is just unparalleled. Yeah, yeah, no, and and obviously a, a mismatch for Dan Quinn last week going against Pete Carroll. So I, I would probably lean that way as well with Dallas. And you also have the similar. Granted, they're not an underdog like the Eagles, but you have a similar, you know, zero and one team kind of. And you could argue that for Atlanta as well. But Atlanta was one of the teams we talked about last week. There were certain teams with wide ranges of outcomes where it's like, all right, everything goes right. This is a ten win team. They make the playoffs, but everything goes poorly and they win four or five, and the coach gets fired, and Atlanta was one of those teams, so uh, just not really a team that I am going to be looking to back anytime in the near future. Let's keep I'm moving. Wondering, I'm wondering if this could get down to Cowboys four. Would you feel more comfortable at four than four uh, and a half? Maybe. Uh, I, it's, just, it's hard for me to know in a game with so many points that we're all expecting. It's hard for me to know – it's almost like who gets, who gets the ball last type thing, you know. Right. Can and, Dallas really make enough stops as well? Could they make yeah, enough stops as well? I mean, granted, I know that the Rams' offense didn't exactly blow the doors off on Monday on Sunday Night Football last week. No, but uh, it seemed like they had an opportunity there. They seemed to get a little more conservative because Robert Woods was running left and right, and then right. they seemed to run the ball a lot more and slow right. it down. If there's one thing we know about Atlanta, like they do have weapons and they're going to score points. It's just a matter if they can stop anybody. I mean, last week, uh, you know, what, I think Calvin Ridley got in the end zone twice last week for the Falcons. So, you know, they're definitely going to score. It just, it, it, it's like one of those teams. I definitely don't want to bet on them because we talked about them last week about how you kind of get suckered on them. And you look, oh, there's Calvin Ridley. There's Julio Jones. Now they bring in Gurley. And there's Hayden Hurst, the tight end coming over. Uh, but, you know, 25 points last week against Seattle. <laughs> and then Russell, Russell Gage with, 12 targets. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if they can come at you in that many different ways, it, I could kind of see this going right down to the wire, uh, but I would definitely lean Dallas, but I'm probably going to be avoiding this game altogether. Let's keep moving, though, and go uh, up to MetLife Stadium where the Jets are a home underdog of seven points against the San Francisco 49ers, a total of 42 in this one. And I'll start, uh, I actually do like the total in this, and I got it under 42.5. And, and here's what I'm seeing. Let's first start with the San Francisco offense. George Kittle doesn't sound like he's going to practice all week. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he might be able to play if he does not practice, but I'll believe that when I see it. And even if he does play without practicing, I have to think that he's probably a shell of himself. So I am not expecting the top weapon for San Francisco to be himself. And then you look at their other weapons. We talked about it. Debo Samuel is on the IR, which obviously is not as serious this year, but it's still two more games. Uh, Jalen Hurd, uh, one of their ancillary weapons, tore an ACL in August and is out for the year. Their center, Western Richburg, on that offensive line, started the season on the pup. So as far as a weapon for Jimmy Garoppolo. Brandon Ayuk is probably who we're looking at here, and he's been banged up. It looks like he's in line to make his NFL debut 
after a hamstring injury. So, Alex, my question with San Francisco, and we both liked Arizona last week and cashed that ticket, can they sustain drives? Because you look at what they did, they scored two touchdowns against the Cardinals last week, and one of the touchdowns was a 74-yard catch and run from Raheem Mostert. So I don't see San Francisco really scoring a lot here. And you look at the Jets, I mean, they don't have the weapons. We also talked about San Francisco having some secondary concerns with Richard Sherman on IR, Jason Verrett was banged up, and Akalia Witherspoon is in the concussion protocol. But the Jets don't have the receivers to really exploit a bad secondary or a dinged-up secondary. And now Le'Veon Bell is not going to play, and I know that obviously his whole – fiasco there with the Jets is going south fast, but do we really think 37-year-old Frank Gore is going to ignite this run game? You know, it just doesn't seem like there's anything here that makes me think there's going to be a lot of points. I'll call it first to 20. I don't know who gets the cover, uh, but I love it under 42 and a half. Uh, I think this is going to be a pretty ugly game. Uh, therefore, I like under. Yeah, I also got 42 and a half, and I'm I'm excited for this just ugly ground and pound. I, no Kittle could be huge. Like, if you're San Francisco, don't you just want to kind of get in and get out of these games? and Exactly. This is this has healthy 17-10 written all over it. Just you know, like, you pound the ball with more Bowl in September, But you can lose it. And I think if you're the Niners, you kind of just want to weather the storm a little bit here. Also, I think going 0-2 has to be on the back of their mind. They're going to probably play more conservative. Just get the win, get out, like you said. Not need enough weapons. Are we going to count on Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor, Jordan Reed, Sanu's coming in? So he knows Kyle Shannon offense, but he can't be a threat in first week of game. Right. And, and, you know, I mentioned that Moster touchdown. Like, are they going to – can you bank on – like, you, you talked about them being conservative. Like, Granted, you could always have a big play, but are they going to really, like, scheme up for a big 80-yard catch and run? Like, it, it almost yeah, – like, right. most of they caught that ball, like, five yards in front of the line of scrimmage and then just did the rest because he's a really fast player. Like, it just feels like San Francisco is going to want to try and do what it does, and that's run the football really good offensively and cue up the clock and, and, and move on. And, you know, one thing that I will say – on going back to the Kittle thing that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, if he travels with the team, that might not necessarily mean that he's playing because I looked their game next week. They play the Giants at MetLife, so I'm guessing they're just going to stay there. Um, so, again, I, I just would expect San Francisco to really uh, have a conservative approach here as we discussed. So, uh, And I guess I'd lean to the Jets on the side, but, like, I'm cringing saying that. Like, the Jets are just not a team that I want any piece of right now, right? No, not at all. But I think if we're both very convinced it's going under, you have to give a look to the seven. But, again, it's it's the Jets and it's Jamison Crowder and Frank Gore. I don't know how confident we could be in taking the points there. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, this could be 27 to 10 San Francisco, you know, something like that. But uh, I think enough wiggle room for sure on the under. So a consensus play from both of us on the under – uh, both of us in there at 42.5 would play at 42 as well. Let's move on uh, from one AFC East team to two more, and that is a matchup between the Buffalo Bills heading to South Florida to take on the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo is sitting at a 5.5-point favorite right now at Bet Bet Online. 
actually got six. Uh, so depending on where your book at book is at, it might be a little different. Total of 40 and a half in this game, but I like Buffalo here. I'm going to lay the points. And we talked about the Jets and how ugly they looked. Well, the Bills looked ready. And I know we said the, no fans might have hurt them with the Mafia, but it didn't seem to phase them at all. They came right out. That game was not as close as the 27-17 final would indicate. Uh, and I think if you're Buffalo... You have to treat these early division games like it's December because if you're going to win this division, you're going to have to win all four against the Dolphins and Jets and hope for a split against New England and then take your chances from there. But 5-1 and one with a split against New England I think puts you in good shape if you're the Bills. So I think they really need to come out with a sense of urgency that while it's just the Dolphins, obviously – that divisional record is going to mean a lot. So that's the first thing. Then we look at the Dolphins, and I know that everyone was kind of, like, excited about them this year because they were the tanking team last year, and they won five games, and their overwin total hit on that last game of the season against New England. But let's not forget, like, that didn't really deter Brian Flores at all. Like, their offseason was pretty clear. They did a lot of things. That first year was just kind of a let's get in and – kind of see what we have here. And then their first offseason, they made a lot of changes. They're getting a lot of their players in there. Their top two uh, snap percentages on defense, I looked this up, Shaq Lawson, who's a new player, and Emmanuel Ogba, who is both edge defenders that are new to the Dolphins this year. So I think their offseason was all about locking down the key positions. Edge defender, they bring in Byron Jones at corner from uh, Dallas in free agency. And then they had three first-round picks, they spent them on Tua, quarterback, Austin Jackson, the tackle out of USC, and Noah Igbenogany, a corner out of Auburn. So all of this is to say that Miami, last offseason, like the whole thing was getting their pieces in place and moving towards the future. So just because they won five games last year and exceeded expectations, I don't think that automatically makes them a playoff team. You know, And this is a Bills team that won both games by double digits last year against Miami. I think the Dolphins are in for another year of growing pains, and people are maybe hyping them up a little too quickly. Uh, so I, I'm going to look at the Bills here. And, and lastly, Ryan Fitzpatrick, believe it or not, I looked at this too. For a veteran quarterback, he's really never been in this pass-the-baton role before. He was a Jet starter before Sam Darnold got there. And then he was the one coming up on Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay and stealing starts from him. And last year, Miami showed no interest in going to Josh Rosen. So then you look at Fitzy now with Tua sitting right there, and what does he do against the Pats defense with all those COVID opt-outs? He throws three picks last week. He didn't look good. Uh, and so I think maybe Fitzpatrick feels a little pressure with the number five pick probably coming sooner rather than later. So all of that makes me like Buffalo here, another stingy defense for Fitzpatrick. I don't think they're going to score enough. I think Buffalo wins by double digits again against Miami. Yeah, I would certainly lean that way. I'm I'm ultimately going to play the under 40 and a half. I got 41. Um, Buffalo is just a really good under team, especially with Josh Allen. They're 20 and 9 to unders with Allen, and then they're 12 and 2 under on the road with Allen. And I really like what Miami did on defense uh, in the offseason, the additions, and then also last week they 
kind of stifled the Patriots. Granted, that's a new new offense with Newton. I just like what I saw out of the defense, and I think this is going to be a, just a ground control game by the Bills, exploitable play action, and I could see them easily win by double digits. I could see a 20-10, 20-7. I, I don't think Miami can move the ball and score nearly enough to cover this over. Yeah, I, I think you're right on with a lot of the things you say about the Josh. I can see the trend on the Josh Allen unders. Uh, you think about the way Buffalo plays. First off, Allen is a good mobile quarterback, and they drafted Zach Moss in the third round this year to go with Devin Singletary, so they clearly are committed to running the football, and we know how good their defense is. The one thing I would say, and I don't think it necessarily applies to this game, but you, when you bring in Stephon Diggs, now you have a guy that can stretch the field and make some more plays over the top. So that would lend itself towards quicker scores. Again, I don't think that it necessarily happens here, but uh, you'd have to think Buffalo becomes a more explosive offense, right? Absolutely. I would think so with Diggs. I, I do like that in a season-long thing, but I think Byron Jones matches up pretty well. I think he could For either sure. yeah. isolate uh, Diggs or Brown, which is their two best weapons. I think they'll really control the game on the ground with uh, Moss and Singletary, so I would I would definitely lean Bills, but I'm going to ultimately play the under. Just the division factor, knowing each other so well, I don't I don't love taking that. On we roll. One last game before we take a break, and uh, it's a uh, interconference game with the Minnesota Vikings traveling east to take on the Indianapolis Colts. Vikings are getting a field goal in this one, a total of forty eight and a half. And I'll start. I do have a pick on this game as well. I actually like the road underdog, Minnesota, catching the three. I just I think the wrong team is favored here. Uh, also, it's a Minnesota team that uh, 0-1, playoff expectations. We talked about how those teams in week two are normally good buys. So you have that. Aaron Rodgers really picked apart this secondary last week, and there's a lot of turnover in the Minnesota secondary. But... I don't think Philip Rivers is going to do the same thing. Like I, we, I, a lot of the reasons that I was fading the Colts last week are can also kind of just apply season long. I was on the Jags. I don't think Rivers is just just going to be able to surgically pick apart secondaries. Uh, and so, I, at least early on, I think they're still going to let Rivers zing it around. And I don't think that's a good idea. Eventually, this is going to be the Jonathan Taylor show in in Indy offensively now with Marlon Mackert. But I have to think, especially after what Aaron Rodgers did last week, that the Colts are going to look and say, okay, we can exploit Minnesota through the air. I expect the Minnesota pass rush to be better, though. Yannick Ngankwe came over in a trade. He's now got some time under his belt with the purple and gold. Uh, Ifadi Adetabo is in for Daniel Hunter, who's on IR. Adetabo is a younger player that they like and has been – in the Minnesota infrastructure for a few years now. And one last thing I'll say on the secondary, that their, their rookie first-rounder, Jeff Gladney, actually didn't play a whole lot last week. Uh, so while there were other defensive backs that were out there and getting torched, Gladney, who might be one of their better youngsters, was not one of the guys out there. And then lastly, uh, I would add that Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison combined for 18 carries for 100 yards. So I think... They obviously were chasing the game a lot, but 
but they have a run-first identity, and they were successful in running the football when they were able to do it last week against Green Bay. I think there's going to be more opportunities, obviously, for them to run in a closer game this week, which means probably more success for Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. And oh, by the way, Adam Thielen, when they do have to throw six for 110 and two scores last week, he was the third highest graded player by Pro Football Focus. Very similar stat line that Gardner Minshew posted against India is what I could see uh, Kirk Cousins doing. 19 for 20 uh, with three touchdowns, just a very efficient day at the offense, didn't light it up with yardage, uh, but that's the kind of thing. Dinking and dunking in the run game is how I think Minnesota operates offensively. I think the Vikings win this game outright. I'll take the field goal, though. Alex, how about you? Anything here? Nothing official, but this feels like the perfect buy low spot on the Vikings plus three. Phillip Rivers throwing 46 times last week. I mean, if you're going to let him do that, that's just too much. idea about what Rivers is at this point in his career. Wasn't the cultural identity last year run the ball more and play good defense? And they did neither of those things last week. Right. Two costly (laughs) interceptions by Rivers. If he's going to just sling it around, I would take the Vikings even with that younger, inexperienced secondary. Also, Zimmer. Yeah, I know you had a trend here. Yeah, Zimmer, uh, 19-3-1 off a loss versus non-division opponents. That's pretty convincing. So good sample size as well. Right, and I think there's something to that because Zimmer has been in Minnesota for quite a while now, and he seems to be able to throw some different looks at opponents that don't know him as well, obviously non-divisional, when they really need to coming off losses. And oh, by the way, Zimmer is a defensive-minded coach, so I think they're going to figure things out defensively, and, and Rivers is probably in for another long day at the office. Any final word on this game, Alex? You would have to think Zimmer's just tearing into that defense all week, right? They're going to come out there on fire, and I'm sure Rivers will sling it around, throw two to three interceptions again, give the short field, and Vikings should control the game on the ground. Let's take a break and check in with our sponsors. We'll come back and get to the rest of the rotation in a minute. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you options to wager that you can't find anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, you're online. Sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Fortunately, Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and the fastest amount of time. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. 
like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be there and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best available offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Greg Frank joining you as always every week at Undercover Greg for my gambling picks. Alex Uplinger, our producer, making him more of a regular host now on our NFL rotation every week. You can find him running our account at full underscore slate underscore pod. Alex, how are you feeling? You, you getting used to being on the air here? I think you're doing a pretty good job. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. I was a little nervous at first, but, yeah, I'm getting in the swing of things here. Trying to give some winners uh, more than more than losers, of course. And I thought we did pretty well last week. I didn't actually grade our picks. I look back and listen, but I know that I played all of them pretty much and ended up up. It wasn't a, a huge winnings, but it was still positive and not negative, so that's all you can ask for. Absolutely, and I know we both love the cards, and I did sprinkle some money line on there, too, so that was a nice little hit. Beautiful. Let's keep things moving and uh, wrap up with the 1 o'clock games. There's three more that we have to discuss. Uh, Number 275 in the rotation is the Detroit Lions visiting 276, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Detroit is a a six-and-a-half-point underdog in this game, a total of 49-and-a-half, and you know, as you can tell by the way I say that, six and a half just seems like way too many points here. Lions were a team that I was high on preseason, uh, and shame on me, I took six. Uh, I don't think it'll matter, though. I, I like the underdog here getting the points. Uh, one of the things I love to do is just to bet against outlier results the following game. And we have two of them here uh, in this game, where we have a Detroit team that was ahead 23-6, to six, all was fine and dandy, and they blew it. Chicago scores three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The Lions had a 98% win probability entering the fourth quarter. It was a brutal loss for me. There's no doubt about it. I was on the Lions. However, it's important not to hold grudges and not to let your emotions get too involved and to kind of stick to your guns when you suffer a loss like that, I think says a lot about who you are as a gambler. And so that's what I'm doing here. The Lions secondary got exposed. Uh, Desmond Trufant, Dower Roberts might not be back, but Jeff Okuda, the number three overall pick from last year's draft, will be on the field, it would appear. He's practiced in full Wednesday and Thursday. And even despite the secondary getting exposed, they should have won the game because DeAndre Swift had the winning touchdown in his hands. So that's the outlier on the Detroit side. And then their opponent, the Green Bay Packers, we just talked about them when we talked about Minnesota Green Bay scored 43 points last week. That's not going to happen every week. I mean, let's not forget that this was the Packers. This is the same Packers team that clearly needed to add some more weapons behind Devontae Adams, and they didn't do that to help Aaron Rodgers. 
So are they just going to go out and score 43 points every week? I know we could talk about maybe some mismatches in the Detroit secondary. I'm just not buying the Green Bay offense being as efficient. We also have, and lastly, a revenge factor here for the Lions. This game last week, or last year, in Lambeau, Detroit at Green Bay, was the beginning of the end for the Lions. Monday Night Football officiating debacle. Trey Flowers got called for some very suspect hands-in-the-face penalties, gifting the Packers what would ultimately be the game-winning field goal. So add it all up, outliers, revenge. I like the Lions over the Packers in this division preseason. Now I'm going to get close to a touchdown. Uh, I love the Lions taking advantage of this overreaction. And Alex, I think you're with me here. I am with you. But first, why was DeAndre Swift turning up field when he was already in the end zone? I know. He caught the ball, and he was he was turning to gain like, more yards. You're in the end zone. Rookie mistake. Like, no yeah, way you are. Game's over. That yeah. was tough. That was a that was a terrible beat, but I'm I'm taking the points. This feels too much in a division rival game. I mean, no fans. We have to think of this kind of as a neutral. Would the Packers really be six points on a neutral? I could see this being more like a field goal to a 3.5. That just feels too much. Yeah, right, exactly. It's kind of a, a numbers thing. And, and I do think Detroit is going to have a chance to win this game late. And, and maybe we are singing the same old song and dance by the end of the year with the Lions that they just can't get it done in crunch time. But even if that's the case, uh, I'm taking the points here just to be safe. Let's move on and go to another NFC North team. It was the team that beat the Detroit Lions last week, and it was the Chicago Bears. They are hosting the New York Giants at Soldier Field. Chicago, a five-point favorite in this game, total of 42. Uh, I mean, I guess my initial lean would be to Chicago because you have the Giants coming off a short week, playing on Monday Night Football, new coach Joe Judge having to handle that, and now traveling. But at the same time, Chicago was not a team I was excited about at all in the preseason. And we talked about outliers. Well, they obviously should not have won that game last week. So uh, I could see uh, this being uh, – I'm just not interested in this game. I could see this being another one of those slot fest early season games that you just don't have much of a reason to watch unless you bet on it. And I'm not betting on it. So uh, I, I think I'm just moving on from this one and throwing this one out. How about you, Alex? Anything? I have to lean the Giants here, but nothing official. I just I can't bet Mitch Trubisky off one quarter of good football. For sure. That just yeah. doesn't convince me. And I thought the Giants looked really solid. I thought Daniel Jones actually looked really impressive. Granted, um, the, the defense kept the Steelers in check, but that was off Roethlisberger coming back looking very rusty. But, I just can't put any faith in, in Trubisky and the in the Bears at this number. Yeah, and, and one of the things, too, about Jones, he kind of showed you, as you said, like he showed you some things last week against the Steelers' defense that you can look at and say, well, this is the guy that went number six overall, and the Giants are hoping is their future, you know, their franchise quarterback. But then he obviously throws the interception down in the red zone, and that was a mess, and you just can't end a drive like that, and... But if it wasn't for that one terrible, obviously terrible play, they're right in that game, and they're right. looking oh, very convincing. Sure. But I And I know that like we kind of want to look at the larger body of work when it comes to the rest of the offensive snaps and say, oh, Darius Slayton looked good, and they just couldn't run the ball. I get that. But part of me also thinks, like, isn't that 
from what we've seen, isn't that kind of Daniel Jones in a nutshell where he'll do things where it's like, oh, wow, like he shows you something. And then the next play, he looks like he doesn't belong in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. But also is Saquon Barkley going to get held for six rushing yards? I can't imagine that being the case as well. So uh, no play, though, for uh, your, no play, right, for you? just a No, nothing official. Just would lean the Giants here. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Final game in the early window. It's an AFC South battle. The Jacksonville Jaguars heading to Nashville to take on the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee coming off of a short week as well, having to travel back from Denver from the late Monday night game. And we've seen some money on Jacksonville. Uh, I think this was nine and a half, nine. It's now down to eight at Bet Online. Total of forty three and a half in this game. Um, AJ Brown doesn't look like he's going to play for Tennessee. It could be a multi week absence. Uh, granted, Corey Davis did look good in uh, with Brown on the field last week. Uh, I will say that Titans defense. Uh, looked pretty good. And one thing that I was a little concerned about was, okay, well, Logan Ryan's gone and Jarrell Casey's gone. Are they going to be able to pick up where they left off defensively? Because they were a pretty good unit on the defensive side of the ball, and they looked pretty good last week. So um, that would be a positive for Tennessee. As far as this game, I mean, Jacksonville got outgained, I think, by 200 yards or something by Indianapolis last week. And, uh, you know, obviously the Jags are – expected to be a bottom feeder still but it is a pretty steep number with a team off a short week in a division game enough of that kind of makes me just pass and not a whole lot on the total either I'm just I mean I think naturally you would think maybe well maybe no AJ Brown maybe a lot of Derrick Henry maybe that means under uh but Corey Davis as I said seemed to look pretty good so uh, maybe they don't miss Brown as much, depending on however long he's out. But, uh, Alex, this is another one that I just don't have a whole lot of a feel for. How about you? Jacksonville outgained by 204 yards last week. Yeah. And they yeah. win the game. And they uh, win. Yeah, I'm going to pass. I, I feel like the book is just begging me to take Jags with the points, which – in my brain, I want to twist and take the Titans, but I just right. can't do it at that number. Yeah, uh, it's really all it is for me. There's just I don't I don't see much of an edge here uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. Let's go to the late games now, where we have a trio of them in the first off. I gotta say, I wish there was like at least four four o'clock games, right? Don't you feel like why, why does the NFL do this to us right. always? It's like every, every time year. before the bye weeks. I feel like every year it's like. 10 early games, 9-10 early games, and three late games. Right, uh, why? And then and then one one late game being Washington, Arizona, and then Kansas City, Chargers. Are those really well, – Washington, Arizona could be exciting. Kansas City, Chargers, is that really one you want to you break your plans and go watch? I, not right. me. Exactly. So let's talk about that Washington football team. They travel to the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Touchdown – favorite are the Cardinals total of 46 and a half uh Alex I mentioned it to you before we hopped on I think I'm probably going to use Arizona in my survivor pool don't know that I want to lay seven uh with an Arizona team that like simply put like there's a big difference between trusting them getting seven and trusting them laying seven and obviously Arizona last year was uh underdogs a lot more than than favorites and and we would 
so in other words, the point I'm making is when you see teams transition to, you know, the expectations and the role of a favorite, how do they respond? And that's kind of how I'm looking at Arizona. I know you kind of like this team, though, moving forward. Like, are you in on them as far as the playoffs? Like, what do you think the ceiling is for Arizona after an impressive win last week in the Bay Area? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think the ceiling is definitely playoffs. I mean, they looked they look great against San Francisco, and that was after they struggled pretty early on. To come back and make it 13-10 at half, that play by Fitzgerald was so heads up. For him to rush the ball over to the ref so they can spike it with two seconds left and then attempt a long field goal and make it, that's just incredible. That's just Larry Fitzgerald is the ultimate pro. Yeah. Oh, and you know, still to this day, even if he's not putting up the big numbers, you would think he would help a lot of the younger players there in Arizona, and obviously DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know, him and we talked about Diggs. Both of them came right in and helped their offenses immensely uh, in Week One. So, uh, but you're gonna you're gonna lay it with Arizona then. I am. I'm gonna lay the seven points. Um, I loved I loved Washington last week. Also, that was yeah the getting getting the points, but. Um, they look great against Wentz. That was also a very shoddy offensive line, and Wentz seems to hold on the ball a little too long. I think Washington oh, had out. eight yeah. sacks, but eight. Yep. Eagles, they look dominant in the first half, and if it's not for those two timely interceptions and short fields, I don't know how Washington's moving the ball. McLaurin, right. but is Patrick Peterson going to just shade McLaurin, and then who are we going to? Are we going to Steven Sims in the slot or – Peyton Barber, Logan Thomas, the converted quarterback from Tech. I just don't see how Washington moved the ball. Initially, I was looking at the over 46, but I just think it's safer to lay it with the cards. I know Murray, I think he can neutralize this strong pass rush. He looked really good, 91 yards on the ground against an equally strong defensive line in San Francisco. I I think he can avoid the pressure. I think he can make some plays to Hopkins and ultimately not get sacked eight times like Wentz did. <laughs> right, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Again, it, I'm pretty close there, and, and you know, <laughs> it's probably one of those things because I do have one play in, in these late games, but there's another thing, Alex, with all these games early, if you have a bad 1 o'clock slate, how tempted are you to just dip back in on these – Four uh, o'clocks, you know. You have to, you have to chase the four o'clocks if you're right. If you're and down so at one o'clock, if, you're if chasing. it doesn't, if a lot of those picks I gave out in the one o'clocks don't go my way, I could see myself on Arizona. So definitely a lean in that direction uh, for me. Let's move on and go uh, back to the state of Texas. Already talked about the Cowboys and the Falcons. We're going to talk about the Houston Texans coming off that mini buy against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore laying seven on the highway, a total of 50 in this game. So uh, another high total. That's the second highest total behind that Dallas-Atlanta game. Uh, And doesn't look like Duke Johnson might not be able to go in this game. So maybe there's just even more of David Johnson. And, uh, you know, Brandon Cooks has been hurt. So if I'm Houston, I'm probably thinking that, I don't want to get into a shootout, as this total would suggest, with Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown and, and Mark Andrews and, and J.K. Dobbins found the end zone last week. I mean, the, the rich seemingly get richer, and that Baltimore offense uh, doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. 
So I do think this is uh, probably uh, one of those games where if you like the Texans, you probably have to think about the under as well just because I think this is just Houston needs to limit possessions. If they didn't learn from playing Kansas City last week and, and how quickly they can score, like it's the same thing with Baltimore. And the minute that offense gets going, like all of a sudden the seven, seven and a half doesn't seem like that much that you're laying. And I mean, they covered with ease last week in that blowout win against Cleveland. So um, it's going to be a pass for me. Um, and I think I'm just going to watch this game and, and just kind of see the Texans were another one of those kind of wide range of outcome teams that we talk about, like Atlanta and you know, where it's like, well, if everything goes right, you know, they still have Fuller and Cooks, and they bring in DJ, so maybe he can turn back the clock, and all of a sudden, maybe this offense without Hopkins isn't so bad. Um, they looked okay last week, um, chasing the game too much, though, and I fear that could happen again here. So I'm going to lay off this game, Alex. Anything? Do you think? Do you think Bill O'Brien could learn in one week to? To limit the possessions for the Ravens, right? Like probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. It it's a bit too steep of a number, but I I could definitely see myself chasing and, and going Ravens. Or I kind of like the total over, but can can the Texans score enough to pull their weight? I'm I'm not sure about that. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing. I mean, as good as Deshaun Watson might be, I mean, it, it certainly seems like when you trade his best weapon and then Cooks gets hurt, it just seems like you're setting him up for failure. And I guess Bill O'Brien's good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Best GM in football. Right. So nothing uh, for either of us on Baltimore at Houston. Let's move on with another steep road favorite, uh, in a divisional game in the AFC West, it's the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the L.A. Chargers. Uh, the Rams got their first chance in, uh, what's it, SoFi Stadium? Is that what it's called out there? Did I get that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Five, $5 billion stadium. It right. looks incredible. So the Rams get their chance. Now the Chargers do. And, gosh, don't you – you think about the teams that – these L.A. teams open with at home. The Dallas Cowboys, who we know have fans everywhere, and the defending Super Bowl champs. And we always talk about the Rams and Chargers not having a home field advantage because it's all visiting fans. So in a way, does the no fans help the home team? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. They have to right? be... They have to be ecstatic that there won't be any away fans in attendance. I mean, there would have been Cowboys fans everywhere and last week, you know. LA's a destination away game. That people would have right. loved to travel there. Uh, especially in the fall and you get later in the year and if you're in a cold Open climate. in the stadium, yeah. Perfect, perfect road game to travel to. So, uh, but no, I, I, I look at this and there's only one way I can go and it's Joe Public, but I'm going to lay it with the Kansas City Chiefs. For a play I, 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 at the minus eight and a half. I think I got eight. Uh, but very simple handicap for me here. Uh, as an Eagles fan, I'm fully aware of Andy Reid's success with extra time to prepare. And that has carried over to Kansas City, where you have the Chiefs under Andy Reid, seven and one straight up now, and six and two against the spread in season openers. Obviously, you have all summer to get ready for your first game. And then in his career, Andy Reid 
off a bye is 18 and 3 straight up and 14 and 7 against the spread. I know this is not a bye, but darn well close to it with the mini bye this early in the season. I'm sure they were probably looking at some Texan stuff in the summer as well. Uh, one other thing just regarding the extra time that I think is something to keep an eye on all season. The Chiefs have the most net rest days compared to their opponents this year. So they have a total of a plus nine net rest days versus their opponents. And they're obviously picking up three of those rest days here, having uh, the nine days off uh, versus the normal six that you get playing Sunday to Sunday like the Chargers are. So just something to consider. Again, Andy Reid always seems to have a few tricks up his sleeve, a very good offensive mind. And that's where I just don't see how the Chargers keep up here. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked the part, coming right in as a rookie. Tyreek Hill only had five catches for 46 yards, and they didn't seem to miss a beat. Granted, one of those catches went for a touchdown. But you'd think he'd probably find some creative ways to get Tyreek Hill the ball, albeit against Chris Harris and Casey Hayward, some good corners there for the Chargers. Patrick Mahomes only had 211 passing yards. I was surprised when I saw that, because watching the game, it looked like the same old dominant Chiefs. So when you look at some of those numbers, you would think some positive regression there with some more time for Andy to figure out some more ways to get his best players in optimal positions. Good luck, Chargers. Tyrod has always been a game manager, right? What they do last week, 16-13 against the Bengals. That will not cut it. You are not going to be able to win that kind of a game against the Chiefs. I think Kansas City sends a message to the rest of the division that we are still Light years ahead of everybody else, Chiefs blow out the Chargers. Yeah, I had I had nothing until until you dropped all that. I I think I'll definitely be taking the Chargers. How does how does Austin Eckler get one? Oh, target it was that bad. Eckler? Definitely taking the Chargers. Or <laughs> <laughs> er, sorry, the Chiefs. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how does Eckler get one target? That's arguably their best weapon. He gets one target in the air. I just don't know how Chargers are going to move the ball. They only put up 16 on the Bengals, which is one of the worst offenses or defenses, I think. No Atkins last week, and they still could only muster. I mean, they have, a far worse quarterback than, they have a far worse quarterback than Houston. And, I mean, the weapons, even without Hopkins, like if you just compare the two Chiefs opponents so far, I don't think the weapons are that much drastically different between the Chargers and and Houston, and, and Houston ended up scoring in the 20s, and Kansas City covered the big number. So, yeah, I, so it's not adding up. Gonna, no, it's not at all. Eckler, uh, 84 on the ground and one reception on one target. I'm sure they're going to try to get him more involved. But They were running the, the fourth-round rookie out of UCLA. They were just playing keep away. Like, you can't do that against the Chiefs. Yeah, Kelly with, with 12 rushes. Granted, he was pretty solid with five yards per carry, but are they going to be able to put up enough points to even come close to this number? I don't I don't see it. Not with Tarad as, you know, right. perennial game manager. So, yeah, I, I, I can only look to the Chiefs in this one. And So you're going to w- make that a play as well? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to join you and lay that number. Okay. Let's go to prime time now where we have a really tasty Sunday night football game between the New England Patriots uh, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Bill Belichick spoke very highly of Russell Wilson this week. Uh, said he's the best player in the NFL, and, and that's that's very hard to, to disagree with, obviously, when 
you look at what he did last week, and it looks like they're giving him the comfort to air it out. And uh, he's got some legit weapons with Metcalf and Lockett, which in years past they've just been run heavy and not had the receivers. Uh, Four-point favorite here is Seattle, total of 44-and-a-half. And we got a lot of interesting little spots here because the Patriots are underdogs. Uh, Ralph Michaels had this for the first time since that game in the regular season. Underdogs for the first time since Jimmy Garoppolo started in Arizona against the Cardinals for the Tom Brady deflate gate. So that's how long it's been since we've seen New England as a regular season underdog. But then, of course, we have the Seahawks, and we have Russell Wilson in primetime, which I think a lot of people know has been a very profitable spot. 26-9-3 against the spread. That's 74.2% are the Seahawks uh, in primetime games since 2007. Uh, Difficult side for me to pick, fun game to watch. I think that's what I'll be doing here, Alex, but uh, you like the Seahawks. Is Bill Belichick just an absolute mastermind with that comment? Just giving them no (laughs) bulletin board material? Like, he doesn't know about Mahomes and Jackson. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Wilson's the best in the league. Just gives them nothing, no motivation. But I'm I'm going Seattle. I'm laying the points. I would love it if the 12th man was involved, but I still like Seattle to win and cover here. Cam Newton with 15 rush attempts and 75 yards last week, that was that was their entire offense. Now right. you're going up against Jamal Adams coming down in the box. Good luck. Good luck running the ball 15 times with your quarterback against that defense. And I loved what I saw from their offense last week. I don't know if the Patriots can stop that. Yeah, I mean, the question is, is that bad Atlanta defense or good Seattle offense? Maybe a little of both. But I think this is the game. And, and you know, Fitzpatrick was bad. and But I think this is the game where you really see if those COVID opt-outs for New England on defense are going to matter or not. And if they can weather the storm against Russ, then, you know, I guess Belichick's just that good defensively and – they're going to figure it out all season. I think this yeah. is a better, much better indicator, though, of what kind of New England defense we're going to see this year. Absolutely. If if Belichick can stop that offense, I will. I'll tip my cap. And if he can get get some offense going with just Cam Newton rushing the ball and throwing for 155 yards last week, I will. Uh, I'll happily take the loss and tip my cap. But I'll be uh, betting against Belichick and the Patriots again, like I do most weeks, and. Most weeks, it burns me. <laughs> I will pass on this one. Maybe root a little bit for New England as I bet them over their season win number. I did bet Seattle to win the NFC West, though. Just, just a fun game, I think, to watch and really see how legit this Cam New England offense is. And, uh, you know, if Russ really is the MVP, does he shred the New England defense the same way he does the Atlanta defense? It'll yeah, be I think, I think this, is a, this is a massive primetime game for both. This is really setting the bar for each team. I mean, doesn't it kind of feel like it's the kind of game where whoever wins it is going to look back and say, you know, that was a big early season turning point. You know, if New England wins, they get this big road win, and all the returning players that are there 
begin to believe a little bit in this new era of Patriots football. And if Seattle wins, then, you know, they make a big statement that not only can they win the division, but, you know, they're one of the best teams in the NFL. And, and if Russ has another big game, then it's just like, well, here we are. And this is what we're going to be all season. We're going to be an aerial assault that we normally haven't been. And, and it just feels like if they can do that against New England, then it could really catapult them towards a dynamic and explosive offensive season the whole way. So uh, for that reason, I'm just interested in watching. Yeah, exactly. It, it's tough to call a, a week two game a turning point, but if Seattle can pull this off, 2-0 and in the division, and then, like we were saying, that's a tough game for the Rams. They could be 1-1. Who knows about the Niners? They'll all be 1-1 uh, one one unless Arizona's 2-0, and Seattle's right. sitting on top of the division. And then, and we know, I mean, they already won last year at San Francisco. They were so close last year. It just feels like if they build up some early season confidence that – that they'll really be able to take this division. Exactly. So let's wrap things up, though, with Monday Night Football, and that is the New Orleans Saints heading west to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. New Orleans, number 289 in the rotation, laying 5.5 on the road, total of 48.5. Uh, and we talked a little bit about A.J. Brown missing time for the Titans, it would appear, uh, but no bigger wide receiver injury in the National Football League this week than Michael Thomas with the New Orleans Saints and a high ankle sprain. Uh, Going to miss multiple weeks, it would appear. Certainly will not be available on Monday night for the Saints. Uh, and, you know, you have an Oakland, I'm sorry, Vegas team that uh, got the win, and it was a high-scoring game against Carolina, and they were tested, but they found a way to win a game they should win, which is the first step for any team like the Raiders that's trying to go from mediocre to above average and try and make the playoffs this year. Much different tale this week, though, against the Saints team that, Alex, the most impressive thing for me last week was how their defense really anchored down. You talked about Brady coming out and looking good, but the rest of that game, I thought the New Orleans defense really got the better of the Tampa Bay offense, and this is obviously a Raiders offense with far fewer weapons. Yeah, it looked great after that first drive. I, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around why Michael Thomas was in that game at the end. That's just inexcusable. Obviously, you're not thinking he's going to get injured, but oh my god, how do you allow that to happen? Right. Yeah. But that's the Saints. I mean, they, they love to. I mean, they they called a double pass with what two minutes left. Just, just pouring it on. They just, they want to show they're the class of the division. They were, I so, they were that. so pissed about hearing everything about the Bucks, knowing that they're the team that has won that division and been so close to the Super Bowl. But <laughs> oh, I guess you pay sure. the price for that. <laughs> yeah, ultimately it seems they do. Uh, nothing official. If if there were fans in the stands, I I think I would have to go. Uh, I would agree. Go Raiders agree. with yeah. just a raucous crowd, home opener in a brand new, beautiful stadium. Um. I'm sure I'll play something come game time, depending <laughs> on how the week's going. I, I think I could I could only take the points here. Maybe maybe look to the under. Hopefully Josh Jacobs and Kamara kind of lead both offenses on the ground and take that clock down. I think Ruggs is also questionable, so that, that also lends well to the under. Yeah, he yeah. is. And, and, and even if he plays uh, – I mean, good luck, Henry Ruggs against Marshawn Lattimore. Like, that's my thing with the Raiders here is I mentioned that the weapons don't compare, obviously, to Tampa. And so then 
Nah. You think about it, and if you're the Raiders, like they're a run identity anyway. They spent a first rounder on Josh Jacobs, and right, you know, Gruden, Gruden loves know, to establish it, right? Like you know that they want to do that almost regardless of the opponent. But if your rookie weapon is going to be neutralized by Lattimore, which you would think he would be, then you know I'm not seeing where the big plays are coming from to where even if the Raiders wanted to play a faster, up-tempo, high-scoring game, I just don't think it suits their personnel. And then if you're the Saints, you know, we talked about San Francisco with some injuries, and I know, you know, it's Michael Thomas, and, you know, that's kind of it. Like, Kamara's going to be out there, and they bring in Emmanuel Sanders probably for this reason. But if you're the Saints, like, they kind of embraced a more run-heavy attack going back to when, Mark Ingram was there, and Kamara was won the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and, and the two of them were doing their post game media availability together, and it just felt like Drew Brees all of a sudden was not the identity of the offense anymore. So nothing against Brees, but I just think over the years, and they've had yeah. success with it. New Orleans has look at what they did last year when Brees went hurt, got hurt, and, and Kamara missed time too, and they're running Murray. Like it just feels like offensively for them, they don't mind if they have to. Uh, running the ball more themselves, so maybe that maybe under is an interesting look. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. I think I think this number might be a little high, especially without Thomas. I as we're talking over, I just can't see that many points getting put I mean, up yeah, by God, either man, 14 team. and a half. That does seem pretty high. Yeah, I think the under might be a play here, especially with no Thomas. Yeah, even with rugs, I I just wouldn't see it with with Carr. Yeah, they're going to control the ground. Throw it to Waller a couple times. Yeah, I, I, I just I don't see like last week you could kind of obviously make the argument we talked about the Carolina defense and how they're all new and, and and so that would be like you would look for a bad defense that's exploitable for when the Raiders with some new weapons Brian Edwards the another one of the weapons they drafted out of South Carolina like that would be when they would try and open things up a little bit more but I mean gosh that New Orleans defense. I just don't think it gets enough credit sometimes uh, because of the fact that Breeze is still there and Kamara is Kamara and Thomas is Thomas. They really locked things down pretty quickly after Tampa got the lead in that game, and uh, I think that's more real than fake. Yeah, and Saints are also pretty stout against the run. Could could this be a Raiders team total under in prime yeah. time? Right, I think that's an interesting look as well because we're saying that the Raiders are even if they're trying to win the game, you know, which they are, obviously they are, but like their plan to win this game is probably, as we said, not to get in a shootout. So if they're thinking, well, we want to win 20 to 17 anyway, then, you know, if that plan doesn't work, well, it's not like they're going to lose in a shootout. They're probably just going to lose because they couldn't even score 20 or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, I would, I would lean, lean under Raiders team total under. I think that would, probably makes some sense as well. And again, all of that, though, comes back to the no fans. I think if you have fans here, then it's a great Raiders spot. Yeah, I think ultimately I'll, I'll probably play the Raiders team total under. I, the run-heavy game and Saints being pretty stout against the run, I just can't see the Raiders putting up enough points. Where, how are they moving the ball? Exactly. Brian Edwards and Waller. Right. Jacobs out of the backfield a couple times. I Yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there for sure. So uh looks like some pretty strong leans there on the Raiders team total under. 
uh, if you're looking for some Monday night football action. And, of course, who isn't? That'll wrap things up for our rotation here in NFL Week 2. Uh, Alex, always fun. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Yeah, let's get some winners, Greg. Sounds like a plan to me. That will do it for Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Check out Alex managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. And check out all of my gambling picks at Undercover Greg. And, of course, please play responsibly.